your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. So glad that you're all here today. If you're new to fullness, welcome again. This is what we do. We worship, we study God's word, we pray for one another. That's what we do generally on Sunday mornings here. Um, So welcome. So glad that you're here with us and pray that as we look at the word of God together that the Holy Spirit will help enliven it to you, make it become life to you today. You see, today we're, we're celebrating what we believe is the greatest event in human history. 2,000 years ago, a man walked the earth claiming to be God. He taught, he healed, he blessed, he forgave people of their sins, he stirred things up. And as a result, the leaders of his particular day in his particular region had him brought up on false charges. They had him killed on a cross, which was a humiliating way to die. In other words, they didn't just kill him, they tortured him. They put him to death by a horrifying means. They put him in a grave. But we celebrate what we believe is the truth that on the third day, he rose from the dead. The cross and the resurrection, they go hand in hand. And and we celebrate not just his death, though the cross is the symbol of Christianity, but really the cross finds its fullest meaning in Jesus' resurrection. It, It really is accomplished. It is a... It is the stamp of approval. It is the the victory over sin and death that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But when the finished work of Jesus on the cross occurred and then was followed by the resurrection, then, some days later, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there was a birth that took place, and it was the birth of the church of which we follow in a long line. Thousands of years later, we as the church were born through these cross, resurrection, outpouring of the Spirit. And we who follow Jesus Christ, we who have received forgiveness of sins, we are what is known as the body of Christ. We are together because of what he's done for us. We're disciples of his. We're the people of God. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How do you get in? How do you become a follower of Jesus Christ? I was born into a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. Both my parents were Christians. Uh, I think I went to church for the first time when I was probably 10 days old. Um, I mean, you know, back then, they just hauled kids around. You know, you didn't worry about them getting sick or stuff like that. You just hauled them wherever they need, you needed to go. And so I went to church, and I've been going to church ever since. Uh, ever since I was about 10 days old. I was raised in an American Christian home. I went to church every Sunday. I obeyed all the rules. Euphemistically speaking, I obeyed most of the rules. I mean, I'm, I, I followed the big ones. You know, I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do pr- have premarital sex. Um, I didn't steal. I tried to be honest with people. I tried not to cheat on tests as best I could when I studied hard enough. I was as good. 
I was as good, I was as good as I could be. I opposed evil. I marched against abortion. I stood up to those who were against Christian beliefs. I was very religious as you measure religion. Surely, surely you start to think after a while, with all these things I'm doing, and as hard as I'm trying, I measure up. I'm doing good. And then I look around at the ones around me. Look at how I'm doing to those close to me. You know, compared to them, compared to my brother, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'll send this to my brother and let him hear it. Surely, surely, if anyone deserves to get into heaven, it, it should be me. I mean, church-going, American. The problem is, we're using the wrong measuring stick. We're using the wrong thing to kind of judge whether we should get into heaven or not. In the New Testament, we see a guy who has everything religiously going for him. He was born into a Jewish family. He is uh, a Pharisee. He is well-educated. He is very zealous for God, persecuting those he thinks are standing up against God. Uh, he, is, he has got everything rocking for him. And not only that, but everything he's been told about how you get right with God, he is doing. One day, he's on a mission to protect God from evildoers. And as he's walking down this road to help God out, suddenly this light appears and, and he meets the resurrected Christ. Suddenly, he realizes everything that I've been measuring myself against doesn't matter. All my self-righteous works, everything I've done, they're like filthy rags standing before the risen Christ. He is changed. He goes from persecuting the Christ to being a follower of Jesus. And suddenly he receives, suddenly he, he understands it's not about his work, it's about the work of Jesus. And he receives a righteousness for himself that he can never get on his own because of what Jesus has done for him. It's an instantaneous miracle of grace. This young man named Saul at the time, eventually going to come Paul, trusts Christ. He becomes a child of God. And in a moment, everything he'd been trying to achieve through his own works, he receives through the power of God. Now, when he walks into faith with Jesus, he has to give up some things. And in this passage in Philippians chapter 3, he's going to compare what he gave up with what he's gained. What he's lost and what he's received. And I want to read the passage to us from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and following. And before this passage, he, by the way, lists all the things that he was. 
Uh, I've kind of summarized them for you, but he lists all the privileges that he had and compares them. So let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and following, to look at the profit of the cross and the resurrection. Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. On this Resurrection Sunday, on this Easter day, let's look at what we've lost and what we've gained. And as we do, I want to look at it in kind of two angles. One is, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what have you got to lose by following him? And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what have you gained? Who are you today versus who do you think you are? All right? So the first point is this. What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? Paul, Paul by the way, before this, I just told you, he lists all the things that were important for a religious person of his day. Jewish circumcision, Pharisee, um, zealous for the law, a law follower, uh, uh, zealous to protect God. He's listed all those things. But then he starts saying, but whatever was to my profit, all those things that I've listed, you know, all the things I told you about me, being born in a Christian family, being an American, um, all, all of those kind of things, um, following all the Baptist rules, all the life uh, that I, was, I, I thought made me a good follower of Jesus Christ, all those things that were to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. Now, just a note right here, Paul lists three different things that he considers, and they're increasing in intensity, if you notice. He says, I, I consider whatever was thought to be to my profit. All those advantages I have, I consider those a loss. What, what, what else do I consider a loss? Well, everything. I consider everything a loss. Not just the profitable things, but everything's a loss to knowing Christ. And then he ramps it up a bit, and he says, hey, not only that, but I consider them rubbish. Now, it's one thing to go from profit to rubbish, right? I mean, really. Like in your house this morning, maybe you're cleaning up for guests. Um, one of the things we do at my house, because, you know, when you have 100 people living in your house, you accumulate, it's an exaggeration, but it feels like that at times, um, and, and preschoolers there the day before, you accumulate trash. I mean, I don't know, it, it like multiplies uh, all this trash. And if you leave it there long enough, it stinks right? What, your trash doesn't stink? <laughs> Just ours? No, I mean, rubbish stinks, right? So it's one thing to throw out the stinky stuff. 
It's another thing to throw out a couple hundred dollars, right? Paul is saying, look, everything that was to my profit, I now consider loss. Not only that, but those hundred dollar things, those things I used to think were really important, they're no better than just stinky trash. He's a little more graphic than this, but it's Easter, so I'm not going to get into it. But he's just saying, you want to get rid of it. It's unhealthy. You don't want it staying in your house. All of that is just, I consider it, I got nothing to lose. I'm getting rid of it. Does it mean that those things have no value? No, no. Those things have value, but they have no value to get you into a relationship with Christ. I mean, they're important stuff. I mean, it's not like we're saying, hey, don't, don't follow the Bible. Don't do the rules. Don't go to church. Don't, you know, live, try and live a holy life. No, those things have value, but only when they're put in the light of Jesus Christ. You know, they're kind of like a, a candle. In a dark room, a candle is really good. But you get out in the middle of the sunshine, candle, well, it just doesn't have, it doesn't measure up. There's a comedian, Dimitri Moore Martin, who said this, <clears throat> I used to play sports. Then I realized you can buy trophies. <clears throat> and he says, now I'm good at everything. Most of us, many of us, feel like we've got our lives pretty well in order. I've got a 90% success rate here. I just need Jesus to fill in the 10%. I just need to add him to my already successful life. And then I'll be made complete. Uh, you know what? That is like trying to buy your own trophies. It, it, it really does not measure up. Christ finds us, and the result is not an addition to our life. The result is a change in our life. It is a transformation. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. What's gone? The old man is gone. The new has come. In other words, Christ is saying to you, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be added to anything. I'm taking over. I'm taking over... I mean, that's the only way I come, is for you to make me the one who rules your life. Now, so for some people, this is really scary. They think, oh, there's no telling what Jesus will make me do. Listen, Jesus loves you. He's already died for you. He's not going to make you do. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't automatically call you to be weird once you become saved. Now, some of us equates holiness with weirdness, but that's not what Christ has called us to. He's called us to a life empowered by him, directed by him. How does that happen? I, I, I don't understand it all. The mystery of grace. Author Anne Lamott says, I do not understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. God's grace is not to designed to appease us in our sin. It's designed to transform us, to change us. All things are made new. And Paul says, look, everything, I consider everything a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. 
We live in an age where we, we want to define our own truth. We want to make truth whatever we want to make it. As a matter of fact, Oxford's uh, English Dictionary, their 2016, last year, their word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth. Now, if you wonder what that means, here's what they define it as. It's an adjective relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Now, if you're like me, it takes me a while to get definitions and understand, but this is not just a word. This is what the Oxford English Dictionary has said. This is the word of the year, post-truth. Now, it, we didn't just get to post-truth being a 2016 word um, of importance. It's been coming for a long, long, long time. Uh, in 1992, the Supreme Court upheld the Roe versus Wade decision on abortion in a case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And in it, they said this, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence of meaning of the universe and the mystery of human life. Now, that sounds really American and it sounds really good. Tim Keller rephrases it like this. He says, the statement does not say we are just free to discover truth for ourselves, but rather to define it and create it. Uh, are you following me? So post-truth as a definition of importance in our world is this. You get to make up your own truth. You don't just get to define, you don't get to discover it, you just make it up. People, look around. Is this not true? Anything is true that I say is true. Well, that's not true. Well, who says? I say it's true. Everything else is just fake news or just Whatever, I, I, and I'm not choosing sides here. You can choose any side you want because we all make up our own truth. It's crept into the church. I want to live this life. God made me like this. I'm happier like this. Here's my truth. The truth shall set you free. I'm going to live it. Listen, Paul says you come to a place where if you want to receive the grace of God, you let loose of everything. Everything. And instead, when you shine what you're losing to what you're going to get, there is no comparison. Everything I'm losing is like rubbish. Get it out. Trash it. It's going to stink eventually. So, what do we have to lose? Well, Everything and nothing is one way to say it. Importantly, what do we have to gain? What do we have to gain? Jim Elliott once said in this famous quote, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. All this stuff that you think is really important in your life, you're going to lose it anyway. I mean, you're gonna, it's all going to burn. It's kind of a saying around our house when anything breaks and we get sad about it breaking. You know, like, oh, this refrigerator, now i got to spend blah, blah amount of money on a fridge. Hey, it's just going to burn. 
It's all going to burn. Everything around you is going to burn up. I, I just wish it wouldn't burn so quickly. Um, just wait a little while until uh, it burns. But it's all going to burn. Everything's going to go away. We're going to lose it all anyway. What do we have to gain? We have, to, we have life. We have everything to gain through knowing Christ. Look at these things that Paul lists in this passage that we have to gain. We have the knowledge of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. This is not an intellectual knowing. You, you realize that, right? This is not like, oh, I know about Christ. I know about Jesus. I know the stories about Jesus. I know, you know, he was born in a manger and some shepherds came and saw him and some angels did this and some wise men came and then he lived his life. I know, I know the stories about Jesus. This is not that. Some of you have been in church your whole life maybe even and know all the stories and you can go through all of it and still not know Jesus. This is like an intimate knowing. No, I, I, I know my family. I know close friends. I know what hurts them. I know what they're struggling with. I, I know them. That's different than me just knowing someone from a distance. Oh, I know their name. Not the same thing. What we have to gain is this knowledge of Christ. So you, you see, this is why we say Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. You know, religious activity is basically you do things and you get things. Do things, get things. Do things, get things. That's religion. Christianity is knowing Jesus. What do you get? You get Jesus. That's what happens in the Christian faith. And you get to know him more and more and more. You get the knowledge of Jesus. Now, this is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's the words of Jesus. We get to know him. That's eternal life. We get the righteousness of Christ. Verse 9, chapter 3. I'm just going through Ephesians, uh, Philippians 3. says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Again, without going back through the whole sermon that I've already done, there's this idea, and we all have it, that if I want to get good with God, then I got to do some stuff. I got to live a good life. The better life I live, the more God is happy with me, the more I get to see him, spend time with him. And the, the truth is this, you can't do enough. It's impossible but God has done it for you. This is what we find in the cross and the resurrection is that we get to be made right with God. We achieve the righteousness of God. You may look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow and say, that person is not really all that good. Righteous. You know, it's you look at yourself, you know. I. This is not a moral righteousness, like suddenly you're going to act right in every circumstance. This is a righteousness that God says, hey, I see you as right, 
because of what Jesus did, because of the cross. He's already forgiven every sin, so the sin you just committed 30 seconds ago, he's already forgiven it. What about the one tomorrow? Good news, he's done that one too. What about the one five years from now? That one's covered as well. You are right in God's sight. So, what do you need to do to be made more right in God's sight? And this is a trick question. Nothing. Because you never could do anything anyway. He did it all for you. Bob Goff uh, is a writer, and he, was, he teaches on parenting. And he was asked what was some of the best parenting advice he ever got and what he did. He responded with this story of a unique gift he got his daughter while his wife was still pregnant with his daughter. I'm not saying that very well, but I think you understand. When his wife was pregnant with his daughter, he got a jar and he wrote on the jar, I forgive you for wrecking the car. And I'm looking over my family. No one's looking at me right now. And um, <laughs> they're looking at each other. Uh, he put it in a jar. He put it in a jar, sealed it, and he went and buried it in the backyard. 17 years later, when she wrecked the car, he said, go, here's a shovel, go out to that tree. She went out to the tree, dug up this jar, opened it. He had forgiven her for wrecking the car before she ever was even born. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you've been forgiven of everything before you ever even did it. Is that not miraculous? Doesn't that just kind of overwhelm you? And I mean, at some point, you're just, your circuits can't handle the truth that you're that forgiven is the gospel that good it's even better than that that's the good news you are totally and completely forgiven if you'll receive what jesus christ has done for you as the one who forgives your sins and leads your life you get knowledge of christ you get the righteousness of christ you get fellowship with him fellowship with him. You know, it's one thing to know someone, like I have knowledge of Christ, I'm in a relationship with them, but this is another thing to fellowship together, to be together, to spend time together. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's some things about this fellowship. It's personal. I want to know him. I want to know him. <clears throat> Your relationship with Christ can't be somebody else's relationship. You don't get to tag in on their coattails. You know, I, I have my family with me today, and I, I love my family very, very much. And it's getting to the stage where we're, it's harder for us to get together as everybody sp spreads out. But <clears throat> my children can't live on my faith. Are you with me? In other words, as much as I love my children, the one thing I would desire for them above all else is that every single one of them will know Jesus for themselves, that it would be personal. The same thing for you. Maybe you're here today because it's Easter, and you're here with your spouse because it's Easter, and you're here with them. I, I want to say to you, you can't live on your spouse's faith. You can't live on your parents' faith. This faith has to be personal for you. 
I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Again, I've said, Paul says this in Ephesians, but the greatest demonstration of the power of God was when he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I'm not going to stay here, but just one second, but I could think of some other things that are pretty showy for the power of God. The creation is pretty good. He said it. It was. That is awesome. Let there be light. Boom, light. The whole Red Sea thing, not bad. I mean, we could just go down the list of powerful demonstrations of God, but the greatest, the greatest was when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then Paul says this in that same passage in Ephesians. Not only was that the greatest demonstration of the power of God, but I pray that your eyes would be enlightened, that you would know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power that is at work to those of us who believe. That power is like when he raised Jesus from the dead. What is he saying in Ephesians? He is saying that power, resurrection power, the greatest demonstration of the power of God, it is available to you. Wait a minute. Are you saying that that power bigger than the Red Sea creation? Is, Paul's saying it's available to you. You've been raised from death to life. And God is at work within you to make you alive. It's available to you. Sean McDowell is a professor at Biola University. He's the author of several books. You may know his dad better. Some of you may know his dad, Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell, Sean McDowell, they've written some books together. And Sean McDowell does this thing in his class where he'll say to his students, all right, let's say you're going to die in three days. What is your bucket list of things to do that you want to accomplish before you die? Just right now, list out your bucket things of things you want to accomplish in the next three days before you drop dead. And, you know, they're college students. Uh, so they list things like um, skydiving, travel, surfing. They're Christians at a Bible school, so they say having sex, um, you know, because they want to do that before they die. Um, and they have this list of things that they want to accomplish before they die. He follows it up with an interesting perspective by asking this. So you think there may be pleasures and experiences in this life that if you don't do them before you die, you will miss out on altogether because they won't exist in heaven? Do you understand the question? He asked him, do these things, you think, i got to get these done because if I don't, when I get to heaven, you know, there's the floating on the cloud, got the harp and the choir robe, that's the best I can hope for. So I want to have my fun now so that all eternity is just spent in this nebula of, you know, I'm in God's eternal choir kind of thing. Many of the students answer, yeah, I want to get those things done before I have to go to heaven. You see, we, we don't understand resurrection life. You know, whatever we're doing right now, as fun as it is, is a tainted version of the joy of whatever God has. You know, when Jesus was raised from the dead, 
he went from here to there, talked to people, did stuff. I don't know, you know, he ended up in an upper room with all the doors shut. That's pretty cool. What I'm saying is this. We have a short-sighted version of what it means to walk in resurrection life. Paul says everything else is just loss to the surpassing greatness of this knowledge of Christ, achieving, receiving his righteousness, receiving this fellowship, the power of his resurrection. Now, he also does say we get to share in the fellowship. I, I want to give you all sides of the coin. We get the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The word fellowship here is the word koinonia. It's the same word as communion. We get, we get to suffer as well. And being willing to suffer. But sometimes we see suffering as God is mad at us. No, God's not mad at you. He's already taken care of everything. It's just a part of living in this tainted, fallen world. Uh, we in the American church, I won't go down this road long, come back, I'll go down this road later in the future. But we in the American church feel like we have this right to live the Christian life as we want and nobody's going to bother us. I want to tell you, friends, those days are over. There's coming a day when we will experience more of what it means to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. But if we just think Christianity is about what we do, then we won't connect relationship with Jesus and suffering because then we'll start trying to do more because we, don't, we want to suffer less. And that won't get us to where we need to go. Sharing with him. Eventually becoming like him in his death. It's identification with Christ. Old man dead, new man alive. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What do I have to lose? Trying to act religious, trying to earn my way to God. All the stuff that I try to carry, all this baggage I try to carry with me, I get to lose it. What do I get to gain? I gain Jesus and everything that comes with him. Now, some of you here today may not think that sounds very attractive, but I pray that the Spirit of God will make it come alive to you. To understand it's everything. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray it becomes a passion for us. A passion to live for Jesus. Again, I know, I know I've been you, I am you, that we think passion equates to bizarre or weird or whatever. That we got to act crazy. Look, passion to me is like, I wear contacts. <laughs> so you're like, okay. Uh, it, I'm if I don't have contacts in, I couldn't, I couldn't see, period. I mean, really. I couldn't, you would look like a big blob, just a big blur. All, all the colors and stuff, and uh, I could probably still, you know, tell a couple of you just because I know you well but I really I couldn't see you so in the morning I put my contacts in boom the world looks clear I can see things now for the rest of the day I don't think about my contacts at all but my whole worldview is determined by my contacts 
I mean, everything I see comes through the lens of my contacts. And then if things get off kilter, I know they're there. Or that's what, it, it's a bad illustration, but to me, a passion of Jesus, being passionate for Jesus is like this. It goes from just me kind of seeing life as I want to see it. I see everything through the lens of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I see all of life, all my work, my play, my, the, the food I eat, the exercise I do, the readings that I do, the, the entertainment that I go see, all of it has to be viewed through the lens of Christ because he is my life. He's my leader and he is my Lord. Everything else is just rubbish. What do you have to lose? Well, ultimately, you have yourself to lose. But what do you have to gain? You get to gain him. And him versus you is not even a close thing. Now, he comes in and he uses you. You, you know, he's not going to like, this is not like a Stepford wife kind of thing. This is not where you no longer, for those of you who don't know that illustration, but by that I mean it's not like you lose all your personality or you lose all your character. He comes in and works with who he's already designed and made you to be, but he's the one in control. There are two extremes here, really. Um, one is relying on yourself and your own strength and your own abilities. That was Paul. Wanting Jesus maybe to be an addition to our life at some point. The other is just feeling totally unworthy, concentrating on trying to become better, like this. You know, they're the people who are overachievers, and they're doing and doing and doing, and I'll add Jesus into. They're the unworthies who say, I got I to gotta get good enough for Jesus even then to receive me. You understand? Either way, we're, we're toast. I mean, honestly, we just have to come to a place where we say, you know what, no matter what I'm like, good or bad, Jesus died for the ungodly, and I'm in that camp. And so I receive him. I know him. I'm giving all of myself to him. Calvin Miller um, said this. He said, the best way to deal with sin is not to attempt reform, but to adore the Savior. Winning over our lower nature is made positive by adoration. While we worship the enthroned and inner Christ, we cannot be intrigued by negative preoccupations with sin. Rules, instead of limiting our sin, define sin. Rivet our attention to it and lead us to desire it. Worship, on the other hand, avoids all interest in sin, pointing our hearts and minds in a totally different direction. Let me summarize what I think Calvin Miller is trying to say. You don't get better by trying to be better. Because in trying to be better, what you're actually focusing on are the things that you're trying to overcome, and they preoccupy your attention. How do you get there? You focus on Jesus. You know him. I, I want to I ask you, if you really know him, not know about him, not know the stories, do you know him? Not are you trying to live a good life, not whether you think you deserve this or don't deserve it, but do you know him? Zig Ziglar 
late Zig Ziglar used to say, tell this illustration. It always stuck with me. He, he talks about this guy who wanted to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. And so he went to his neighbor and said, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? And the neighbor says to him, no, you can't buy, you can't borrow my lawnmowers. All the planes out of New York are delayed coming into California today. And the guy said, what, what has that got to do with your lawnmower? And the guy says, well, you know, I don't want to loan you my lawnmower, and one excuse sounded as good as another. <laughs> you know, when it comes to knowing Jesus, it, that's the truth. That any excuse will do, except it'll keep you from being where God wants you to be. I, I want to ask you today, just, just lay aside the excuses because our God is greater than your excuses. Our God is greater than your weakness. Our God is greater than what you think is your strength. And I want to I encourage you to count everything, everything as loss for their surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for resurrection life. We thank you for truth. We thank you, God, that you have brought us out of death into life and that, Lord, none of us here deserved it. None of us here really, um, no matter how much we did, we didn't earn it. And at the same time, Lord, no matter how bad we are, you still did it for us. Lord, I, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would draw people to the name of Jesus right now. For those who don't know Christ in a real relationship, that you would draw them into that relationship. For those of us who do know Jesus but have drifted to a point we're just trying to we even wonder if he wants us back. God, let this day be a day of renewal, revival in our lives. Lord, we thank you. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all glory. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. With your heads bowed, if you wouldn't mind, just you can open your eyes because I'm going to ask you to take your connection card.